And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to another episode of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. It is so good to be back recording again and getting out Sack episodes to y'all. I took a little break for the month of December, had finals going on, had Christmas and other family things going on. So I took the break, it was much needed, well deserved, I loved every second of it. But NFL football, the playoffs are here, college football We have one game left for the national championship on Monday night. That's going to be a doozy of a game. We have the mail sack being gone for a month. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered. So we are going to start right off the bat doing that. Before we get to that, I have to remind everyone, like, rate, review, subscribe, everything else good on iTunes. It means a lot to me that you're even listening to this. And if you were to even go one step further and do any of those on iTunes or anything like that, golly gee, that would just make my gosh darn day. So here we go. Let's dive into the mail sack real quick. We open up the mail sack with a question from Ryan Moore who asks, Do you think Josh Allen has a legitimate shot at the number one pick or is Bosa a lock at number one? Number one pick this year is owned by the Arizona Cardinals. They took Josh Rosen last year with their pick. He's going to be the quarterback of the future. They do need help defensively, so I do think it is a defensive pick, and I do think it honestly does come down to Bosa or Josh Allen. I think if you look at it, yes, Josh Allen is sort of primarily known as this rushing guy and gets pressure on the quarterback. Um, It's hard to justify taking a guy as just a rusher, number one in the NFL draft, because... He's going to be asked to do much more at the next level besides just being a good pass rusher. Good, I would say great pass rusher. And I definitely think he can become more of a uh, more than just a pass rushing guy. Has the ability, the athletic ability, the work ethic. It's seen with all the weight he put on at UK, how well he developed, that he can, and when he's driven, can learn new concepts and everything and become more of a pass protection guy and things like that where he's going up against the pass and having to defend tight ends or slot guys or stuff like that so on that end yes I could see them taking Josh Allen on the other end with Bosa Bosa's for about a year and a half now been thought of as the number one pick consensusly by Kuyper and Todd McShay so the way he stacks up not really much of I think you know what you get with Bosa, where the only thing that comes into question for me is him being injured this past year, which I don't think that injury is going to linger or anything like that, but maybe that raises some questions, but I think at the end of the day, the upside more, I think, and the attributes that teams are going to look at, I think Nick Bosa is going to be the number one pick. 
just because of those reasons. And it's not saying that Josh Allen isn't going to be a great NFL player and that he couldn't be. He easily could. But I just think that at the end of the day, if you look at attributes and intangibles and ceiling, I think Nick Bosa has a higher ceiling than Josh Allen does, which is why the Cardinals are going to end up taking him first. We move on to another question from Alex Holder, who asks, where do you think this Kentucky football program is headed? I think it is headed for good things, not great things. I think this year is something that needs to be commended and held in such high regard for what Soups did and what Benny Snell did, Josh Allen did, all the other guys on offense and defense did, the guys that came back, Mike Edwards, all those guys, held in such high regard and honor with what in the past Kentucky football has been, especially recently. Ideally, I... would hope that they become just respectable every year. Um, Recently, I guess, like a Virginia Tech, if Kentucky football could become Virginia Tech football where they're consistently like seven, eight, nine wins and then they have like a big year occasionally where like there's an Orange Bowl thing or a Citrus Bowl thing like that, I think that would be perfect for what – Kentucky is as a whole. Kentucky always has been and always will be a basketball school. If there is something like Kentucky football that could keep us interested a little bit during the fall until basketball season started up, that'd be great. I do expect them to have a very solid year again next year. That's also a question that's coming up later on, what my thoughts are on that. But right now... I think they just need to enjoy the win in the Citrus Bowl and continue to build. But where do I see them? Hopefully just becoming a very solid, very well-coached, and a very consistent program. Moving on, a question from Casey Eibold. Who do you think will be the next Bengals head coach? God, I hope it's Hugh Jackson. I'm for one shocked that the Bengals fired Marvin Lewis and even more shocked that Hugh even is being considered just because of his friendship with Marvin. And I get he was the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati for a long time and everything, but golly, he is a terrible coach. Um, I could see it being... Uh, no... Maybe Mike McCarthy, that'd be something fun, wouldn't it? I think he's a terrible coach as well. I wouldn't want him anywhere near my franchise. He did nothing in Green Bay, like, ever. So, one of the, I'm hoping that they pick somebody bad, but I don't think they're... Gosh. I'm going to go with... Mike McCarthy. Yeah, we'll go with Mike McCarthy. I think Cleveland passes up on Mike McCarthy, and I think Cincinnati jumps all over that. 
Next question comes from Kyle Oliver. Does Kentucky go 9-3 and again next season? Yes, they do. We had a conversation about this in our uh, – Snapchatted me the question like you all can too. And originally I said no, like they lose too much. And then I looked at the schedule and it's very favorable. They get Tennessee in Lexington. They get UofL in Lexington. They get Florida in Lexington. They do have to go to South Carolina and at Mississippi State, um, but their out-of-conference schedule is not very strong. They have to play Arkansas. I believe they get Arkansas in Commonwealth as well. So the way the schedule stacks up and with who they have coming back, with Terry at quarterback and Rose, who's a good running back, that's going to have to fill some huge shoes, but definitely can at running back. Um, I do think that the way it's set up, the schedule-wise that Kentucky does, go at least 9-3 and three again next year. A question from Brandon Blazer to move on. Baker or Lamar as your franchise quarterback? This is pretty obvious to me. I think Baker Mayfield definitely is who it should be. If you just look at the history of predominantly running quarterbacks in the NFL, besides Michael Vick, there's really not a lot recently that have been good and if you want to say that well look at Robert Griffin the third who when he was a rookie had this great year I get that and he was built predominantly running the ball I understand that but look what happened to him the next year and when he got injured and now look at his career it's terrible now let's and I think Robert Griffin the third being in Baltimore and talking to Lamar and being like I guess if you want to say mentor to him that's great. I think that's going to help Lamar in that fact. But if you look overall, Baker set the rookie touchdown passing record this year and didn't start all the games. I understand Lamar Jackson didn't start all the games either. Totally understand that. The way Baker came out of Oklahoma, people, I think, expected him to run the ball a little bit more, and he really doesn't. He's more of a shifty guy than a, hey, I need to run the ball uh, to get production. So where the shiftiness comes in is when he's standing in the pocket and he feels the rush, he can move around in the pocket rather than just bailing sometimes like Lamar does. And I think you already see Baker transitioning to the NFL and how you can't just bail out on a play when there's pressure. You got to stay in the pocket, try and make things happen. Um, A big thing you can see with that is let's take Russell Wilson out of Wisconsin. He was a good running quarterback out of Wisconsin and North Carolina State. And for a while there, he was one of the more predominant running quarterbacks in the NFL, him and Cam Newton. Russell Wilson took a couple big hits, got banged up a little bit, Probably had some conversations with Pete Carroll about things. And now he's more of a guy can run, but most of the time where I use my scrambling abilities, it's in the backfield when I'm in the pocket trying to extend plays and keep my eyes downfield. I think Baker is doing more of that right now than what Lamar is. And I think it's encouraging to see Baker do that at such a young stage in his career. Not taking anything away from Lamar Jackson. What he's done this year Coming in when he did, when Flacco got hurt, winning the games he did to get to the playoffs, and right now they, it's unwritten so far what his rookie years come to because um, time of recording this, the playoff games haven't started yet. So 
Who knows what this rookie season could hold for Lamar Jackson. He could go off in the playoffs, and that would be amazing if that happened. Um, But right now, long term, I would take Baker Mayfield just because I like his skill set, and I think he's built more for the NFL long term than a quarterback like Lamar, who we've seen in the past with guys like RG3, get figured out, take big hits, and not be able to recover. Now, we move on to a question from Matt Logson, who asked, is Texas really back? I'm going to pipe in the soundbite from Ellinger, the quarterback at Texas, after the Sugar Bowl win. For all these fans who are in the stands and those who are watching on TV, what does this do to set up Texas for a, a springboard into next season? Longhorn Nation. We're back. All right, I'm back now. Um, I understand Vince Young did that after the Rose Bowl and when they won the National Championship against USC and things didn't really pan out. Am I sold so much on this Texas team under Herman being able to do that and everything like that? Um, They beat Oklahoma this year, but they've beaten Oklahoma in the past, and they did end up losing to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Huge win against Georgia, though. Maybe Georgia would have played a little better if they were playing Alabama. I mean, you know how close they played them, right? They played them really close, so they should have made the playoff. They played Alabama really close, but but they lost to LSU, and they lost to Alabama, and they lost to Texas, but... They, you're telling me they didn't win the biggest games they had all year. Got it. Yep. But they still should have made it because they played Alabama close. You're right. Um, sorry. But is Texas back? As much as I want to say yes, I'm going to say no. Um, Ellinger is a hell of a player and super exciting, and I love watching him. And the play call, number eight on his wristband, fuck you, bitch, that's cool too Tom Herman is a great offensive minded guy and is one of the best coaches when an underdog look at his record against the spread when he's an underdog and he's like 13 and 2 or something like that ridiculous I'm sort of trying to talk myself into thinking Texas is back but I need to see them win against Oklahoma or another Big 12 team in the Big 12 championship game for them to be officially back. Texas wins the Big 12 next year. They're back. I'm sold on them. If they don't, no. They're not back. Because they're not doing anything different than what they did last year. To this coming year. If they don't win the Big 12. Win the Big 12. Texas is back. If they don't, no. They're not back. Moving on. We have a question from roommate Eli George. Who asks. Thoughts on the Antonio Brown situation? Question mark. It's a question because he put a question mark at the end. Um, I think that quietly the Steelers is a been a dumpster fire, and the management and the coaching situation at times is, and winning cures everything. And normally Pittsburgh does win and make the playoffs, and this year because they didn't, things are being magnified and looked at more. And that's where all of these issues are arising. I think you can 
Steelers are not going to get Le'Veon Bell. He's gone. Fine. Is he a generational player? I don't know. He's one of the best running backs in the NFL when he's playing. Antonio Brown, generational player. Yeah, I think he is probably one of, if not the best wide receivers in the NFL. You cannot lose two guys like this to other teams because management is just dumb. You just can't do that. Um, if the issue is between Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, those guys need to figure it the fuck out because it's ridiculous that they would have such an issue after this. Um, there's been a spin now that Antonio Brown wasn't really mad at certain people. He was just mad that some of his teammates didn't seem as invested in the season as he was. If that's the case, there's so many other better ways to go about sparking a change in culture and effort and everything from teammates rather than throwing a fit and not playing in games, especially a game you have to win. Um, Overall, I think Antonio Brown is a stealer for the 2019-2020 season. Um, I think this gets smoothed out and evened out. And, I mean, what's he get? Like, if Pittsburgh doesn't trade him, which he says he hasn't really requested a trade, then he can't just go sign with another team. I don't think Pittsburgh's going to trade him. You saw with Le'Veon Bell, who they thought they might get back at a certain point this year. They couldn't and didn't trade him. I think this is all just a product of Pittsburgh, the organization, and their players being upset that they missed the playoffs, and cooler heads are going to prevail and this is all going to be smoothed over sooner or later but that's just the culture we live in one little thing like this is going to get blown up because there's 40 television shows on espn and fox sports that they have to fill time and they have to talk about something and this is something they could talk about moving on we have a question from schultzy from Indianapolis who ask, what do you think about them Colts and what do you think they have to do to beat the Texans this week? Some food for thought. I think the Colts um, earlier in the year when I predicted um, playoffs and everything like that, I picked them to win the AFC South. That didn't work, but they did make the playoffs. Um, super high on Andrew Luck on what he's doing. I think he's definitely going to win the comeback player of the year. What they have to do to beat The Texans is obviously make that offense one-dimensional, which it kind of already is because Lamar Miller sort of disappeared recently, and you have to limit what DeAndre Hopkins does. You're not going to stop him. You just got to limit him. If you could somehow keep him out of the end zone, that definitely increases your chances of winning that game because he's the guy on that offense. I know Deshaun Watson is quarterback, and he – is very good too, but John Deere Hopkins, if you can somehow slow him down and sort of keep him out of the end zone, gosh, that you guys got a real good chance because Andrew Luck and that offense is firing all cylinders right now and the defense is playing better than it did earlier in the year and better than what people expected throughout this entire year. So that's what they need to do and what what they have to do to win pretty much. I unfortunately don't think that's what's going to happen though um 
Question from Jake Welker. How does Kentucky do in SEC play? It's great question. UK has been playing extremely well in basketball recently. Coming up, their first game back after the break for the holidays, they go to Alabama on Saturday the 5th, and then they go and they host Texas A&M on Tuesday the 8th of January. And then they host Vanderbilt, go to Georgia, and then in an extremely tough four games, they have to go to 12th-ranked Auburn, host 17th-ranked Mississippi State. I know it's at a conference, but it's still part of this four-game stretch. Kentucky's going to welcome the 5th-ranked Kansas Jayhawks in to Rupp Arena, and then at the end of it, they have to go to Vanderbilt. I think this can be... If you split up games into four-game stretches, split up the season to four-game stretches, and think of, oh, we went 3-1 and one or 4-0 over those four games, rather than looking at it as a whole, it can be a lot easier. So if they can go 3-1 and one out of that four-game stretch, they'll be looking really good. It would really suck if they did lose to Kansas because on a national scale, I think more people are going to watch that rather than like the Kentucky-Auburn, the, the Kentucky-Mississippi State game. But those games, conference-wise, obviously mean more because they're in conference. But nationally-wise, the Kansas game means a lot more. I'd be extremely worried that either riding high or licking their wounds, Kentucky could overlook Vanderbilt or not be up to play at Vanderbilt and playing at Vanderbilt with the talent they have and the energy that place always brings when Kentucky comes to town. That's a dangerous game. Um, Moving into February... The toughest game pretty much they have there. They host Tennessee um, Saturday, February 16th. Um, They also host Auburn, and they go to Mississippi State. Those are some crucial tough games. And then three games in March they have. They have to go to Tennessee and then host Florida at the end. If I'm going to be realistic, I think they finish second in the SEC to Tennessee. And Tennessee is one of the best teams in the country. That's nothing to scoff at. But I think they probably split the games with Tennessee. Um, Each team probably wins on their own home court. But I could see Kentucky dropping a game like at Vanderbilt or something like that or an at Florida or at Mississippi State where they really shouldn't lose, but they end up do losing just because of youth and being on the road and all the other factors that could factor into that. But realistically probably second in the SEC to Tennessee all right that concludes the mail sack for this week's episode I thank you all for sending in your questions I appreciate the hell out of it it means a lot to me that you take enough interest in even doing that so thank you so much we're now going to move to college football and talk about some of the more notable bowl games that happened first one that I'm going to jump right off in is Wisconsin beating Miami 35-3. to um, Mark Rick retiring from Miami after this loss. Not directly after it, but you know what I mean. Um, Wisconsin, back-to-back years, kind of embarrassing. Miami on a bigger stage last year, but on a big stage this year in the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, where does Miami go now? Who really knows? They hired their defensive coordinators, their head coach, and their defense was pretty good the last two years. So if he can bring a swagger back and that same mentality that he did to the defense, the entire team, and the way they approach things, um, Miami could 
be in for some good years ahead, but felt I needed to talk about that. Um, unfortunately, t- need, do need to touch on Tyler Trent, who did pass away as we look at the Music City Bowl, and unfortunately Auburn um, picked apart Auburn and Auburn picked apart Purdue in that one, 63-14. Very upsetting situation. Um, I know Purdue beat Ohio State this year and everything, and like I. When things like something like Tyler Trent and a story and just a human aspect come into games, it's you put away fandom and you just root for someone as a person. And I think everyone that heard Tyler Trent's story was rooting for him as a person and unfortunately um, passed away. So I don't think they're going to hear this or anything like that, but thoughts and prayers to the Trent family and anyone else that was close to them and is affected by this entire situation. Um, moving on to a game that same night, you had Washington State beat Iowa State in the Alamo Bowl. Gardner Minshew threw for 299 yards and two touchdowns. Um, it was a great game, back-and-forth game. Washington State got out to a big lead, not a big lead, but they got out to a very substantial lead, and then Iowa State came roaring back. Moving on, I was going to say, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Moving on, you have Florida and Michigan in the Peach Bowl. Florida got in that ass. They killed Michigan 41-15. to Florida was sort of thought of people as like not really – being able to contend with Michigan, but then Higdon decided he wasn't going to play. And I think that coupled with the disrespect they were getting and them needing to make a statement, Florida came out and did just that. And Florida next year is going to be dangerous. Frank's a quarterback for them is only going to get better. He only had 172 yards and a touchdown in this game, but Florida's defense came and played ridiculously well. Um, picked off Trey Patterson twice, one of those for a touchdown. So I'm telling you right now, Florida's going to be something to mess with next year. And just keep an eye on that, but a big win. And where does Michigan go now? They can't beat the rivals. They can't get a bowl win under hardball. Um, Hank Hunt is a bonus question. He asked me, do you – if hardball loses to Ohio State again and they lose their bowl game again, is it time for hardball – to get out of Michigan. Would they fire him? No, Michigan's never going to fire Harbaugh because they they handpicked him and he's their guy. They're never going to fire him. Should they? They should consider it, I think, at least. His seat should become a little bit warmer, but they're not going to. But again, Florida killing Michigan never made me happier. Looking at the college football playoff now, The Cotton Bowl was Notre Dame going up against Clemson. And Notre Dame is who we thought they were. I was high on Notre Dame going into this one. I thought they had a very good chance to win. I picked them to beat Clemson, and they just didn't do it. I fucked up. Ian Book, only 160 yards through the air and an interception. Trevor Lawrence proved me entirely wrong. Um, Three touchdowns on the day, 327 yards. Um, Clemson's back had a touchdown, and I think he had like 110 yards or something like that as well. Um, and their defense, even without Lawrence, who is a cogpin, 
a linchpin's cogpin. He's a cog in the machine, a huge linchpin of that defensive line being out from the failed test. Um, the rest of that defensive line came and showed up and played extremely well. Um, on another note, Brian Kelly's going to take an opening in the NFL because he's reached his ceiling at Notre Dame, and there's no higher he can go, and he knows that, and whether the rest of Notre Dame knows that or not, I don't know, but he's fucking gone. He's going to go get paid somewhere, and he understands that, yep, this is, I can't compete with teams like Alabama and Clemson, Shown in the national title game and the semifinal game this year, just not gonna happen. Um, I can win and beat teams from the Big Ten and the ACC, but nationally, it's just not gonna work. On the other side of the college football playoff, you had Alabama going up against Oklahoma, and this game ended up 45 34, only a nine point game, excuse me, 11 point game. Math, it's hard sometimes. Um, and the score does not indicate how this game went at all. Alabama at one point was up 28-0, to zero and then they started coming back. Oklahoma scored on every possession they had in the second half, and it just wasn't enough for them to come back. Uh, Tua had 318 yards and four touchdowns. He fucking killed it. Kyler Murray had 308 yards and two touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher for Oklahoma with 109 yards and a touchdown. So... End of the day, what do we learn about these two teams? Um, I think overall, I think we learn that, and if you look at the Georgia-Texas game as well, Big 12 teams can score on SEC teams. And it's nothing for Big 12 teams now to be scared of going into bowl games or big games against SEC teams anymore because... They showed they can score and their offenses are still going to work, which is extremely important uh, with Big 12 teams. Oklahoma, I think, is going to continue to be in the college football playoff talks for years to come. Same with Alabama. Obviously, Alabama. It's fucking Alabama. But Lincoln Riley, I think, I understand, lose back-to-back to the two best teams in the SEC. Um, who are probably going to be in college football playoff talks for many years to come as well. Not the best look, but having back-to-back Heisman winners and being in the college football playoff your first two years as a coach, extremely important and extremely big. So both these teams and their futures look bright. Um, Continuing on in a horrible game, uh, Michigan State. In the Red Bull, in the Red Box Bowl, Michigan State lost to Oregon seven to six. Justin Herbert, thank God he's coming back for Oregon. He went for 166 yards and a touchdown, and it was just an all-around terrible game. If you watch that game, I apologize and I am extremely sorry. Um, Northwestern came storming back against Utah in the Holiday Bowl. Northwestern is going to be extremely competitive in the Big Ten for years to come. Mark my words on that. Um, UCF got handed their first loss in two years in the Fiesta Bowl by LSU. Joe Burrow got lit up on a play on an interception early in the game and then came back and had 394 yards and four touchdowns. Killed it. Um, LSU gets 10 wins on the year. UCF 
not a bad year by any means, none to hang your head on, but in your biggest game, you come out and they didn't, they came out hot and LSU was winning the game like 17 to 14 at some point, but it didn't feel like that at all. All the like energy and momentum in that stadium was with UCF, and then LSU just came back and did it without a lot of pieces on defense in the secondary and dominated things and played extremely well on the defense side of the ball. And Joe Burrow had his best game as a college football player in this game, and they come up big. Another game from that day, you had Kentucky beating Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. I did not give Kentucky any chance in this game, and I apologize. Um, Terry Wilson did Terry Wilson things. Only completed nine of his passes. Only threw the ball 15 times for 121 yards. But Benny Snell is the all-time career yards leader at Kentucky. Um, he had 144 yards at two touchdowns. Lynn Bowden returned a punt for a touchdown. He also had 84 yards. Uh, Josh Allen played extremely well. Dropped the mic at his press conference at the end saying he should be the number one pick. Um, McSorley for Penn State, injured, played through it with, like some people were saying, a broken foot. Um, he had 246 yards and two touchdowns through the air and also carried the ball for 75 yards and a touchdown. This is a monumental win for Kentucky, and I can't state that enough. Um, hats off to that entire team and Stoops and everything that they did this year was incredible. It was a pleasure to be a fan of this team. It hurts that Benny's gone. It hurts that Josh Allen is gone. Start start construction on their statues immediately somewhere around the facility because they both deserve it. In another game, from that same day in the Rose Bowl, you had Ohio State beat Washington. Ohio State jumps out to a big lead. And then in what is super just fitting and apropos of what their season was, they led a team that they were beating handedly with stupid mistakes and poor defense, hang in the game, and almost have an onside kick recovery chance of winning the game with a late touchdown as well. Um it was good to see um, Mike Weber go out the way he did, 96 yards um, in his last game as a Buckeye. Dwayne Haskins in what was potentially his last game as a Buckeye, only 251 yards and three touchdowns. Was hoping for a little bit more out of him, but what he brought to Ohio State and this program this entire year and the records he broke in is going to stay at Ohio State for an extremely long time. Um, the defense played extremely well. This game, for the first half, then the second half, they regressed. Um, Ohio State is apparently going to bring in Al Washington, I think, from Michigan, their linebacker coach, and a great recruiter. That's a huge get. They're bringing in the offense coordinator from Oklahoma State to be the quarterback coach, which replaces Ryan Day, who is now the head coach at Ohio State since Urban Meyer is retired. Don't know if he's done coaching. Probably not, but whatever. Um Paris Campbell got over um, a thousand, has the single season record for not single season, yeah, single season record for passes caught at Ohio State. Um, where Ohio State goes from here, no idea. It's going to be really interesting to see, but 
for now. Um, they just got Jordan Fuller back at the safety position, so that's good to see for them um, in the year for next year. If that defense continues to develop and maybe Justin Fields comes in, which could potentially happen, um, there's going to be a definite quarterback battle between him and Tate Martell. It's to keep our eye on, just something to look at. But um, in what some people are going to call a disappointing year, I mean, you win back-to-back Big Ten championships, you beat what some people are thinking is the best team that Harbaugh's had at Michigan. Um 62 to 39 and you win the Rose Bowl definitely not a down year and a hell of a way to send one of the best coaches in college football history off with a Rose Bowl win um the night game was Texas against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl a lot of these games started this way where a team would get a big lead and sort of run away and hide and the team other team would come storming back and then the team that was originally winning would score a little bit and that would be the end of the game that's sort of what happened here Texas outplayed Georgia the entire game and sort of out-physicaled them as well. Um, they held Georgia, Texas did, to um, extremely low numbers and rushing the ball, lowest they had all year. Um, Holyfield for Georgia only had 62 yards. Um, Ridley in the passing game, the number one receiver for Georgia, only had 61 yards um, from had an interception. They were able to get after him. He did have three touchdowns on the game as well. Ellinger, um, three rushing touchdowns on the game at quarterback for Texas. Um, like I said, I don't know if Texas is back yet, but on that night, they were. We are now going to shift focus to Alabama and Clemson in the national championship game. And to keep this short and sweet, I think Alabama wins. I think Tua goes off. And I think their plethora of running backs is able to wear down Clemson's front seven. And I think that, the not the pressure, but I think the big stage and some other factors along with the pressure that Alabama's going to be able to get on Trevor Lawrence is going to impact it completely. I think he makes a mistake here or there, maybe fumbles it or interception or something like that. That's going to swing momentum hugely in Alabama's favor, and I don't think they're going to be able to get back. Clemson is, and I think Alabama wins this. I don't think it's as one-sided as their college football playoff game was um, like in the semifinals a couple years ago, but I think that Alabama wins this one by like at least 10 points and I hate that I hate it I hate it I hate it a lot of people are saying this Clemson team is one that could give them more of a game than anybody Um, I just don't foresee that being the case I think Alabama is too good and Nick Saban is too good of a coach to have these guys be complacent or anything like that. I think Alabama comes out on both sides uh, in the trenches and dominates, which sets the tone completely for the game, and Alabama wins another title under Nick Saban. All right, what's up, guys? Um, I recorded about three-fourths of this last night and doing about the other fourth this morning, and I woke up feeling pretty sick. I know I still have NFL to talk about, so I just want to get through my NFL picks, I feel absolutely terrible, but I still need to get those done. Um, Colts, Texans, I think the Texans offense is just going to be too much for the Colts and the Texans get it done. Seahawks, Cowboys, um, 
I'm going to take the Cowboys in this one. I think it being in Jerry World and them needing to win a playoff game so bad for that for that fan base and the whole organization as a whole and Jason Garrett as well. I'm going to take the Cowboys. Chargers and Ravens, I'm going to take the Chargers in this one. Um, I just think it was a bit of a aberration in the uh, first game they had this year. I think that the real Chargers come to play in this one. And then the Eagles-Bears, I'm going to take the Bears just because of their defense as well. And Mitch Trubisky being at home, Nagy's first playoff game, I think the Bears come out and get it done. But this is I think this game is going to be the best game of the first wild card weekend. Alright, that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. I apologize I had to cut this short, but my goodness, I'm hurting like a dog right now. Um, I'll talk to you all real soon. I'll see you all next week on Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. And as as we always end here, we will be seeing you.